don't try to do too many things at one time. I think that's where you're going to struggle unless you have a lot of experience already doing it because doing that at the same time can really be a detriment. This is The E-Commerce Leader, a show for you, the owner of a thriving online business. In this shorter episode, we bring you our hot takes on topical and central e-commerce subjects, fresh from our expert panel, Chris Green, Jason Miles, Kyle Hamer, and myself, Michael Beasley. Let's jump in. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon Profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. We are live on Instagram and calling for the hot takes of the How Do You Go Live podcast and the, uh, the e-commerce podcast with our expert panel, both sides of the Atlantic. We have Kyle Hamer and Jason Miles over in the West Coast, um, Chris Green over on the East Coast, and myself, I'm, on, I'm not on any coast. I'm in London, England. Everyone else is in the United States of America, and we are talking today about the differences in scales between marketplace selling and D2C selling, really important topic. It's one that got discussed recently in the Mastermind here in London, amongst other places. So, gents, how are we doing? We're ready to rock and roll on this topic. Good, man. Yeah, love it. Love this one. This is a great topic. It is. Yeah, definitely. Something that I think is an aspiration for a lot of people selling on marketplaces to get into the D2C world, and then they put their toe in the water and discover it's a very different world to mix my metaphors. So let's start off with you, Jason, because I know a lot of the clients that you and Kyle talk to are stuck between these worlds sometimes or sometimes transitioning successfully. So what do you see the differences are in the skills? Yeah. Yeah. I'll mention one thing that I think stands out and we like both though, just to be completely candid about it. I don't think it's either or I think it's both and as an approach for sellers. We started on eBay as we're power sellers back in the day. Not that was hard, but, and then switched to Shopify direct to consumer in 2013. We've done over 3 million transactions in our Shopify store. And then we also sell on Etsy. And I think I just looked, we had, we've had 52,000 transactions in total on our Etsy store. So we like both. But one difference between the two that I would say is your willingness to execute live in front of an audience is, is a, a requirement in a direct-to-consumer Shopify site in particular. And the willingness to, to actually aggressively focus on presentation, sliders, photography, all of the images and video content related to consumer engagement are front and center on direct-to-consumer, much more so than on marketplaces. And I think the willingness to execute, and and some people can have a challenge in doing that. Kyle and I work with clients that literally just can't get their homepage slider changed or can't can't get product photography done systematically for new products on their Shopify site. Though and sometimes those are just style challenges where they're they're not not driven to do that. They don't see an urgency in it. And other times they don't have the technical skills. But I think that stands out as a requirement if you're going to be a kitchen table entrepreneur on a direct to consumer Shopify site is you've got to be able to pull the trigger on your site visuals effectively and often. And I think that's probably the main difference in my view, because that's not really a requirement in a marketplace. You have to have product photography, but you don't have to have overall site presentation strategies and that kind of thing. So I think that's probably the first thing that stands out to me the most. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, what it makes you realize is that a lot of the work that Amazon or anyone else, but particularly Amazon does, they make a lot of decisions up front for you, rather like the difference between a Mac and a sort of PC world, right? And the Mac is ready-made decisions. You may like that, you may not, but they've put a lot of effort and research into them. And then you're suddenly out on your own in the DTC world. Absolutely. Kyle, uh, you obviously work alongside Jason a lot of the time with uh, people transitioning from Amazon to DTC, well, sort of transitioning from or adding to rather than from to maybe is both and to sure. tell me what things you see there that people from the Amazon world struggle with in the DC sort of new skill set. I think one of the key fundamental differences is that on the marketplace, you really are product focused and which is good. You need to be right. Cause you're essentially trying to figure out if you have good product market fit. As soon as you switch to a direct consumer platform, like Shopify, you have to become very audience focused it's not just about the product because previously you could just, if you've had a great product and you did your research properly, you put your product up on the marketplace, it competes potentially with the other products that are on that marketplace and you can get some sales and some win because all the buyers are coming directly there to buy. So I think it's in, really incumbent upon the D2C marketer to understand their audience more effectively and really be able to market across the entire life cycle, right? The, the customer buying journey becomes much more important on your direct consumer site. Like you need to not only just try to win the buy box like you would on Amazon and get the sale, but you have to be speaking to them through your content, through your to Jason's point to your visual presentation on your site to deep further back in the funnel to get people's attention about your brand and brand awareness that you don't have to do, at least you haven't had to do historically. I think you're having to do more of that now on Amazon and some of these marketplaces that are becoming more competitive, but you could essentially focus directly on the sale. You didn't really care who was buying your product. You just wanted people to buy it. And I think as you switch to direct consumer and like Shopify, you start to care definitely about who they are, where they're at, and how cheaply you can get them to your site and get them to convert. Yeah, all good stuff. Yeah, interesting about the focus, I suppose, implies a skill set focus as well, doesn't it? I guess it's just broader on DC. And to your point, as Jason has said to me in the past in a way, that starting with a product focus and then on the marketplace is not the worst place to start. Let's put it that way. It's not for everybody, but it's not a bad start. Chris, obviously you're kind of Mr. Amazon. I don't know if you really would classify yourself as a DTC seller as well, or where are you with this stuff? I got a lot to say on this one. So I hope I can compact it enough because I've done this long enough and I've done it with enough people and I've done it at enough different levels, different like experience levels that I think I have a pretty good idea. And also based on my own experience as someone who came to eBay by accident, oh, this is cool. I can do this. And, oh, Amazon's here. Let me play around with that. Not really knowing what I was doing and like I'm learning as you go. And then when you can look back, you can be like, oh, I see what worked. I see what didn't work. I see where I messed up. I see where I didn't have enough information. I see where I made incorrect assumptions about what was actually working. And it becomes very clear in hindsight, especially the differences between marketplaces and direct-to-consumer. And as someone who teaches uh, a lot of newbies, a lot of people getting started, a lot of times people get started doing arbitrage, retail arbitrage, online arbitrage. They're selling other people's products, and they're also doing that on a marketplace. And they don't really understand the dynamics that really go into that. You're selling other people's products, right? So there's demand created for you. There's people who want the products without you doing anything. And then the marketplace, the big thing that they're bringing to the table in the transaction that people don't often realize, at least at the beginning, is the trust factor. People are buying from Amazon because they trust Amazon. They buy from eBay because they trust eBay and Amazon have spent decades and billions of dollars establishing that trust so that customers will come and spend money and buy products from their website. So when you sell other people's products on a marketplace, and they sell and you're like, this is easy. Like 
why isn't everybody doing this? It's like the easiest thing that I've ever seen. And then, okay, yeah, it's easy, but it doesn't have the actual value on the back end. You're not actually building a business of repeat customers and a customer base that you can go back to and selling your own product that you control and you have just agency over the entire process. That's a very different skill set. It's a very different game. It's a much more valuable game long term to play, but you can certainly play the easy game as long as you want. You can flip other people's products on other people's marketplaces as long as you want. But remember, if you can't get those products anymore, or if Amazon or eBay puts in new rules to say you can't do this, or you're going to limit as much as you can do this, you're at their mercy. If you're like but sharecropping, like you're farming other people's land, like, like, you know, like Facebook and social media, all of these different things. I just think people need to understand where they are in the entire process. So they don't wake up one day and be like, oh, I didn't realize that Amazon could terminate me for no reason, even though I broke a rule by accident. Yeah, they could, which is why you might want to invest some time in direct-to-consumer, your own website, Shopify, building your own email list, building things that you actually control. It's better, it's more valuable, but it's also harder, which is why fewer people do it. But it's a different skill set that anybody can learn. Not everybody wants to learn it. So I don't want to also put people in a box and say, look, you need to do this if you're happy doing this. Just understand the difference. So if you're in a place where you don't want to be, you want to be somewhere else, you realize that, you know that. So you can make to take the actions and take the steps to get to where you want to go. Instead of waking up one day and be like, I didn't realize I was just selling Disney products on Amazon and that there's not actually that much value in that process if I can't get that product anymore. I mean, that I say that from experience. That was me. I was like, I am an amazing seller. Look, I went to Big Lots and I flipped this product. I am the best. And so looking back at me like, no, I took advantage of a, an inefficient market and I was in the right place at the right time. And thankfully, Amazon brought the customers and I thought it was hot stuff. Looking back, I was like, oh, I see. If I really want to build value, these are the things that I, want to do, that I need to do. Interesting. I think there's a few themes out of that. So I'll piggyback on what everyone else has been saying, I think. And just one of the things that strikes me First of all, sharecropping, farming on other people's land is a very important point and one reason why a lot of people do D2C marketing. And I think it's both very valid and I would just add a little caution to that. Yes, if you own the site, I guess you own the domain and you have a relationship with the people who did the uh, the hosting. And I guess you could shift over if they, for some reason, banned you. It's very unusual. But I guess that one thing that strikes me is you're always on somebody else's platform to some degree because where are you going to get your traffic from? Google, well, that's somebody else's platform. Facebook, that's somebody else's platform. <laughs> Pinterest, that's somebody else's platform. So particularly when it comes to the traffic side, I guess we're all vulnerable. But what a DTC does give you is, I suppose, the ability to control the actual site experience and to directly contact your customers, which is the main frustration as an Amazon seller, I think. So the difference in skill set that strikes me from conversations with pretty intelligent and successful, sometimes multi-generation business owners in the mastermind, is that they try to treat D2C kind of as a bit of an extra add-on to Amazon, as opposed to seeing that, as for my money, the equation you're solving for is different. The cost of acquiring a customer is so much bigger, potentially off Amazon, that it comes down to the cost of acquiring a customer versus the long-term customer value, which, to your point, Kyle, is a completely different game because it means you've got to try and gain loyalty and keep selling multiple products to the same person, as opposed to sell one product to lots of different people once and then move on to the next person, which is the kind of Amazon game, I think. So that's my take on it. Any responses to that or new thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree. I think one thing you've sussed out together is the fact that the traffic strategies for direct-to-consumer are just more uh, comprehensive. You can do advertising on all of the big marketplaces now, and getting really good at that is vital if you're a marketplace seller. But more comprehensively, traffic strategies are important if you have a direct to consumer site. I would just say that one of the primary questions every entrepreneur has to answer is, where can I actually sell my product effectively? 
And it's certainly true that some products just don't do well on their own direct-to-consumer standalone site. Kyle and I worked with a lot of people, and some brands are easily ported into Shopify off of the other marketplaces. And it's boom, it just, it's like, it, it blossoms. It's on Shopify, and then it just takes off. Other people have a product that just frankly isn't generally sold on a website by itself. And it's most commonly found in a marketplace, almost how a product would most commonly be found in a grocery store. And that's a big thing to think through as a seller. Where is your product best suited to be sold? And there's a lot of pain involved in trying to make a direct-to-consumer website work when it just won't, or when the customer's mind is not to find you on your own website. And we've seen people go through that cycle. And as business coaches, it can be really frustrating because they've had the the presupposition that they can sell direct to consumer on their own website. And then through the brutal pain of experience over six months, 12 months, a year and a half, they realize, oh, yeah, actually, people just want to put this in their shopping cart when they buy four other things on Amazon and I'm best positioned uh, alongside other generalized products or category products on Amazon. And that's a hard lesson to learn. And sometimes up front, sometimes you don't, sometimes you, you think it won't work and it does. Sometimes you think it won't work and or whatever, vice versa. You get my point. And so I think that's something to think through and and really figure out. The other thing I would just say quickly is that sometimes a direct-to-consumer website is best used as a branding and positioning tool. We've had people who have really had a hard time selling on a direct-to-consumer website, and then business owners started buying from them in bulk. And then what they realized was they have a B2B opportunity not a direct-to-consumer opportunity. So they pivot their Shopify site to be a tool for brand building and awareness building for for other businesses to find them and buy in bulk. And that is an interesting dynamic that can occur sometimes. So these are the nuances and differences between how a direct-to-consumer site can or can't serve you best. Yeah, very interesting. I've certainly seen that Amazon sellers that end up using their Shopify sites effectively as a lead capture or lead reassurance from Amazon. So the customer journey goes something like Amazon find a product that they think looks good, but it's got a high enough price point or it's important enough to them or, or critical in life that they have a Google, they find the site that, that is owned by my client, they're reassured, they go back to Amazon, they buy. So that's a slightly different customer journey. And then the B2B positioning is very interesting opportunity, actually, which I think is often missed. Partly, as you say, because of the name D2C implies that you should have your blinkers and on only be selling to end users. It can be very lucrative to sell business where one one of my clients has really got that dialed in, I think. So, Kyle, let's get you back in. Any other thoughts on the back of that or other thoughts that are you're burning to share? Yeah, no, I think just building off what Jason said about using the using the website as a branding tool and also a crisp layered into that about trust. That is a fundamental thing you have to overcome, right, as a D2C seller is you have to build brand trust. And to Chris's point, Amazon has it, right? They have, everyone has their credit card. They understand the customer service process, the return process. They know what they're going to get out of it. So if given an opportunity and a selection of buying your product on Amazon or buying on your website, most of the, like 80, 90% of the people are going to go to Amazon to actually buy that product, right? So I think it's really clear. You have to have a distinct reason for your Shopify store or your direct consumer website to exist that's outside of just selling the product. And I think that was another big mistake that we've seen with clients is they're just like, ah, I just put the product up on my site, drive some traffic to it. And now I'm making say it's, it's going to be the same as Amazon, but it's not because there's no reason 
for the consumer to go to that site unless you give them a reason. And there's a lot of creative ways you can do that. There's VIP programs and membership programs and digital products that you could attach and sell to it. So there's a lot of value that you can add to your brand on these direct consumer sites. You can't do an Amazon, but you have to be there and doing that intentionally. And that's where some people don't hit that next step. They don't make it to that next level in their thinking around it. Yeah, it's a great point. A direct seat consumer site is not just a way of buying things anymore, is it? It's just not about the mechanics, I guess is what you're saying. Chris, more thoughts? Kyle, I love what you just said about reasons. I think people forget that. And it goes back to the arbitrage days of the selling on Amazon. What's the reason people are buying this from you? Oh, it's available on Amazon. I can't get it locally, whatever it might be. And people aren't analyzing those reasons to say, okay, what reasons can I use to get people to buy from my own site? I think that's where people need to get creative. I think that's where people need to maybe hire an agency or a consultant to be like, hey, this is what we want to do. What do you think we can add? Oh, we can add digital products and a membership area and VIP and coupon and repeat customers, all these different things. And I think people also need to kind of reverse it a little bit. And remember, but if you're trying to build a trust, Amazon already has that. eBay already has that. But part of that trust is the buying process. Just like Kyle said, they understand the checkout, they understand the returns. And there's something that people, I can't believe people overlook this as often as they do, but it's Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime gives the free shipping, the fast shipping. People know it's going to come quickly. Around here, I get stuff like the next morning, like before the sun's even up, people are they're delivering packages at my door. I like that. I want that. And if I go to another site and I don't see that, I'm like, you know what? I'm not actually paying more from Amazon. And that's why it's important to listen to shows like this and keep up to date with the things that are going on because Amazon knows this. And Amazon has a new program. I don't even know if you guys have heard of it. It's called Buy With Prime. And you can apply to be in the part of this program, buywithprime.amazon.com. It allows you to put your products on your own site with Prime benefits, with Prime checkout. So you can, and you get the customer information. So this isn't just, you'll put it here and Amazon's going to fulfill it. You get the customer information from your own website, but the customer still gets the Prime experience. So now you're giving people a reason to buy from you and they're still getting the experience that they come to know, love and trust from a marketplace such as Amazon. And this stuff is changing so fast. So you have to keep up with this stuff. It's exciting and it's fun. And the people who do are going to see a lot of benefits, but it's complicated. It's a lot more complicated than buying Disney products from Walmart and selling them on Amazon through FBA. That's easy. Anybody can do that. You want to build something real value, you have to do the harder stuff and keep up with it. But for some people, keeping up with it is fun. So I hope everybody listening to this is like, wait, I can put Prime on my own site. Yeah, I'm going right now. Buy with prime.amazon.com and sign up. It's a waiting list right now. So you might as well get on it. But can you imagine being able to put Prime on your own site and collect customer data, like the golden part of Amazon that we don't get customer data that we can now remarket to. Yeah, it's amazing. It's getting better and better. And it also shows that Amazon has invested in distribution and all of these things that we know customer wants, but they're not doing it to keep it all in-house and internal and force you to go through Amazon. You can, if you get the customer, great. They're happy to be a part of it and extend their economies of scale and give the shipping options and all these things so that customers get a better experience. I mean, it's an amazing time to be selling products online, but you have to be smart about it. I do yeah, think that really smart. Amazon has recognized the threat that Shopify poses, and now they're making strategic moves in order to sort of buff that, right? And so I think that what you just mentioned, the Prime on your own site, I think them doing the brand referral bonus where they're going to they're gonna basically credit back some of your the 15% referral fee that Amazon typically charges on all the products, depending on your category, but just back up to 10% of that back if you send external traffic that, that converts and buys your product, right? So from Google, Facebook, TikTok. And so what they're trying to do is eliminate that risk of people just running the traffic to their Shopify store. So I think we talk a lot about Walmart and Amazon battling it out. And I think Shopify is in that mix as well. I think them buying Deliver 
for their upgrading their fulfillment network. And I think them using their shop app, which sort of consolidates all these independent marketplaces into a, an a phone app, smart moves. And I think we'll see even more of that battle. And I think it will ultimately benefit us as the uh, sellers. We're going to get better and cooler things that kind of come out of that battle. Really cool stuff. Those are two things that I'm vaguely aware of, but I haven't really been keeping an eye on. I said it wasn't aware that if you use Prime on your own site, you could keep the customer data. To your point, Chris, that's really amazing because that is the missing piece for most Amazon sellers. So I think what strikes me is two kind of big players that we need to keep in mind. Instead of monkey see, monkey do selling on Amazon because everyone else does it or because somebody told you to on a podcast, including this one, or same for DTC, it comes down to where's your audience? And knowing who they are, and to your point, Kyle, really got to know that very sharply if you're on D2C site. And also understanding the other players on the selling side. So Amazon, eBay, Shopify, what's the sort of competitive landscape? And if you align yourself with Amazon and where they want to go with this, then we are, we've got the wind at our back, as it were. And I just think that's super smart. There's so many shows on podcasts about Amazon selling that seem to obsess about hacks. And I'm sure that's true with Facebook ads or anything else. But I always feel like trying to beat Amazon is just a ridiculously terrible idea because they are so smart and so powerful and so well financed. But if we go with their general tendency, for example, if they're obsessed about getting external traffic, then and integrate that into a D2C strategy, then suddenly it's starting to look like the winds are blowing in our favor is the way I'm seeing this. So interesting topic. This is a hot take show, so we better stick with it, even though I can hear, hear everyone thinking of a thousand things that they want to say because it's such a big topic. Let's do our final round the table of our final thoughts on this, the skill differences between DTC selling and selling on the market. Jason first. Yeah, it's a beautiful time to be in both. This is, this is the golden era of e-commerce, man. This is so amazing. You've got choices on the marketplace side that are amazing. Etsy, eBay, Amazon, Walmart, Mercado Libre, on and on. And you've got, you've got a beautiful tool with Shopify to build your own direct-to-consumer site. That's the platform of choice tool for me. And I think it's an amazing tool for many startup entrepreneurs and people who are direct-to-consumer sell, selling. And so I think it's just a fantastic time. And I just encourage everybody to jump in with both feet in one place or the other. Get one thing sorted out, get it up and running, make it work, learn what you're doing, and then build a team around that and just add another thing, go from there. It's so easy when you put it like that, but <laughs> it's, it's still absolutely sound strategic level advice for sure. Kyle, final thoughts. Yeah, I'll just echo what Jason said. I think that you have to pick a platform. It's probably going to be a marketplace if you're just getting started, most likely, because you're probably going to be coming from selling something on these marketplaces before your own product. And you're kind of maybe experienced as a reseller on eBay or Etsy or Amazon, and you want to build your own brand, build your own product development. So it makes a lot of sense for you to sort of move into a marketplace to do that product market fit and where you're testing to see where it goes. But outside of that, get mastery. Don't try to do too many things at one time. I think that's where you're going to struggle unless you have a lot of experience already doing it. Because to be able to do both you, really requires you to get a, gain a lot of mastery and a lot of skill sets. And doing that at the same time can really be a, a detriment because you're going to be distracted and trying to build all these skills simultaneously and just better to get focused as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Focus uh, number one skill really for so much stuff, isn't it, Chris? Just adding on to what Kyle's saying, focusing and having an overall strategy, which includes understanding where you are and where you want to go and how long it's going to take to get there. And some people just want to hop on and do some quick flips and make some extra bucks. And some people want to, hey, I actually want to be still doing this in seven to 10 years. And this is where I want to be. Because if you don't know where you are, 
on the map. doesn't matter which way you go. You're not going to get where you want to go. And I've just seen a lot of people get started because they see this quick buck. They see this arbitrage. And I'm probably guilty of promoting so much of it that way. But you can certainly hop in and make some money on, on marketplaces. But if you decide you want to stick around and, and build something real with direct-to-consumer and building your own email list, that's a different skill set that honestly takes time to not only learn, but also develop and execute. It's not impossible. And for a lot of people, it ends up being fun. But having an overall strategy from the beginning will help you. It will prevent you from wasting a lot of time at the beginning. Yeah, really. There's lots of great comments from everyone. Just to add my two cents to your point, Carl, having a solid reason for your audience to buy off your site. So the front end slash marketing side is really critical. I think that's just generally true for all brands selling anywhere, but you can particularly, you can get away with it to a degree on Amazon or you have been able to. I think that's probably going away as you hinted, but I think in your DTC site, absolutely critical for me the flip side of that on the financial side is make sure you're solving for the right equation so getting a bunch of people to buy your stuff once works on amazon because you've got conversion rates of 25 30 40 percent and you have quotes free traffic okay there's a lot of amazon ads in the mix but it can work financially whereas i think the cost of acquiring the customer versus the lifetime customer value hint being a lifetime not like first of all is the one you've got to solve for and final point to Jason's point, again, just to echo and underline that, don't miss the B2B opportunities. Don't be purist. If you're selling what you think is direct to consumer and you get one sale a month to somebody's granny or something and it's no use to you, and then you get the odd sale to somebody who buys 100 units in one go, well, double down on that. There's a lot of money to be made in that. And I think one of my clients is probably making the majority of his profit from that, even though he didn't start off with that intention. So if it comes across your plate, it's a valuable thing. So final summary is to say, thank you so much for listening. If you're on the call-in app, if you haven't called us on call-in, do come and check it out. It's only available, as I know, as far as I know, on iPhone at the moment. I'm sure they'll do a, a Android version, etc., Windows Phone as it comes to it. But also, you can catch us on all the podcast channels, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. We're trending up with nicely on most of those, so do come and join the party. And if you get a chance to leave us a rating out of five stars on Apple or Spotify podcast now, that would be amazing. Final thing is to say thanks to my lovely colleagues over in the States. Always enjoy our chats, gents. Absolute pleasure. Jason Miles, Kai Hamer, Chris Green. This has been Michael Beasy for the e-commerce leader show. Thanks for listening. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vizi in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.